I invite you to open up your Bibles uh, to Proverbs chapter 17 today. Uh, We are continuing our sermon series uh, through the book of uh, Proverbs uh, this morning. And so if you, the reality is if you look at almost any book on relationships, uh, the books that you'll read will tell you that you need differing type of relationships to help you grow as an individual. These books will tell you you need a mentor, you need partners, you need friends. A mentor is one who wants the best you for your best work or the best mission. A partner is one who's really a co-worker who wants the best work and best outcome. But a friend is interested in the best you. A friend is one who's interested in you being the best you. And this is incredible wisdom from our world. It's actually an expression of common grace. You look at Proverbs, you see Proverbs saying essentially the exact same uh, thing. And we need to understand more about what type of friendships that we need if we're going to flourish in our life. And if you look at Proverbs, uh, you find that you need friends to flourish. If you're married, you need to understand a few things about marriage to flourish. If you're a parent, there's things that you need to understand about parenting if you're going to be wise. And so over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to consider each one of those. That Today we're picking up friendship and we're considering what type of friends do we need if we're going to thrive and flourish in this world and in this life. And so we're looking at Proverbs 17 this morning. Proverbs 17 verses 9. 17 and 18. And so we're going to see what God has to tell us about the type of friends that we need. So let's give our careful attention to the reading of God's word. These are God's words that he has given to us so that we would know him and follow him. Verse 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Then verse 17, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. One who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for the gift of your word that you have given to us. And Father, we pray that your spirit would minister to us now as we consider your word, that your word would be planted deep within our hearts. That not just your word, but your love and your way, that we would bear great fruits because of the love that you have shown us. So Father, we pray now for your blessing now as we consider your word. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Vivek Murthy, he is our current uh, Surgeon General, but this is not his first time that he has held this post. He held this post uh, under a previous president, President Pro- Uh, President Barack Obama. And he had this incredible vantage point from this these years of public service, that as he oversaw thousands of public workers, he would see the research, he would visit the entire, as he would go about visiting the various parts of the country, he would hear stories and he would experience firsthand. But, and so from this vantage point, he looked at America and he said that we have a great crisis in front of us. In fact, it rises to the level of almost epidemic proportions. And he said this in 2017. And what he said arose to the level of epidemic proportions is loneliness. That loneliness is a great crisis that we as a nation are facing. But he was not the only one who would say that. 
In the same year, across the Atlantic in the United Kingdom, a cabinet-level position was created, and that position is the Minister of Loneliness. Imagine being a government official, and that's your job title. The government, the Minister of Loneliness. See, what our world is actually experiencing and feeling and sensing and being able to put to words is this, that friendship and relationships are hard. In fact, they do not, they don't, so in other words, they don't come easy. And so if we just take that at face value, the point I want us to contend with this morning is that we are not naturally good at relationships. That we are not naturally good at relationships. If you look at Scripture, Scripture is very honest about this. Because biblically speaking, we are not naturally friends with one another. Instead, we're naturally enemies with one another. That we're trying to compete with one another, impress one another, put each other up, tear each other down. In fact, the first murder in the entirety of Scripture is a brother against a brother. It's a brother against a brother. The first fight that we see within marriage is, is kind of like who's doing the dishes tonight. It's a, the fight over food. And then Adam and Eve start pointing fingers at one another and blaming each other. So like within Scripture, we find this truth that we are not naturally good at relationships. Instead, we are actually really good at tearing each other down and eroding friendships. And so as we look at the book of Proverbs, Proverbs actually gives us some feet and helps us understand how to walk in this way of friendship. In fact, today, as we are considering friendship, the reality is this is actually the third sermon on friendship and relationships that we have considered since starting this series in October. That there is the first sermon from Proverbs 3 that God calls us his friend, that we have a friendship with God. Then later on, we considered this question of relationships. Are they worth it? Because relationships are hard. And if you, that question of relationships, are they worth it? That question is a defeater belief that if you think that or you hold it and you wonder it, that actually will prevent you from having friendships. It's a defeater belief. And so, please, I encourage you to go back and listen to those two sermons. That will help you even understand more thoroughly about what it means for you to have a healthy friendship that helps you flourish in life. Because my goal here is not that everyone would be best friends with everyone. That's impossible. My goal is for us that we would be friendly that we would grow in our friendliness and our friendships. Because if we would be best friends with everyone, like we would actually be best friends with no one. Because the reality is, as human beings, we have limits, including relational limits. We see these relational limits exemplified for us in Jesus Christ himself. That Just think about this. This is mind-blowing, that Jesus had relational limits. You read the Gospels, and the Gospels present Jesus in very human terms, that Jesus had his best friends. There was Peter, James, and John. Those were the three, the inner three, that when like, Jesus took them up on the, on, on the mountain, and there's the whole transfiguration, they see Jesus next to Moses and Elijah. Like They, they saw some of the most intimate moments of Jesus' ministry 
in life, but those were Jesus' best friends. And then there's the rest of the 12, the, the remaining nine. Then there's more beyond that, like Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the, the, whom he loved. You even go beyond that. There's the 70, 72, the 400, and the thousands. My point is that we have relational limits. A sociologist, Charles Dunbar, he studied this entire question of our relational limits. He called them group dynamics. And he found that on average, people can only have 150 relationships. And those 150 relationships are of differing degrees of depth. And so today, we are thinking about that inner circle, like those, those three, the people whom you want, that you look at to see, hey, this is my friends. These are my friends. And so as we're at, looking at this passage today, we're thinking about friendship for flourishing. And here's the question that I want us to consider for our next few moments is what are the marks of a true friend? What are the marks of a true friend? And we see this laid out for us in these three verses. 17.17, a friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. Now, throughout the Bible, you'll see some incredible pictures of, of friendship. I was just describing Jesus and his disciples. That's one picture. There's Ruth and Naomi. That's another. There's David and Jonathan. And so, like, throughout Scripture, we see many examples of friendship. But you look at those examples, you look in your own life, you sense this as well, but from Scripture, you see this very perceptive word that a friend loves. A friend loves. friend loves. That is the first mark of a friendship. And, and where this goes is that a friend loves you, absolutely. But that is not where a friendship begins. That's not where a friendship begins. Because friendship often begins with the discovery that you have something in common. It could be hobbies, it could be faith, it could be children in the same school, or something else. Because there, but there's something that pulls you closer together. So we have the Elses here. Glad you're here with us this morning. They're from Iowa. Like, being here in the Northeast and finding people from Iowa, it's like, this is awesome. This is great. There could be other examples as well. It could be, what type of music are you into? Or, again, I'm here in Philadelphia. I'm cheering for the Steelers. How many Steelers? Like, we find each other out. But C.S. Lewis put it this way, because friendship begins at the moment when one man looks at another and says, What? You too? I thought I was the only one. See, that entire question actually reveals some of the, the effects and the consequences of sin in our life because we feel like we are alone. Sin wants us to be alone. It is the devil, the devil wants us to isolate ourselves. But this did not dynamic that I'm describing, uh, that friendship begins with something. Friendship always begins with something. But for David and Jonathan, it began with a shared love for God, and they grew closer together. That their shared love for one another, their friendship matured into transparency and vulnerability, love and loyalty. And this is something else to consider. That friendship starts, friendship is defined by love, but friendship involves vulnerability. Friendship involves vulnerability. 
Proverbs 3.32. This was the very first sermon in the Proverbs series. It tells us this, that God is a friend to the upright. God is a friend to the upright. That's at least in the Christian standard translation. In the ESV it says this, the upright are in his confidence. That word for confidence and friend are the same word. It's the idea that we are God's confidants, that God entrusts himself to us. And this is what we learned about friendship. How our, this is something we learned about God's friendship with us, that he entrusts himself to us. See, and friendship involves that, where we entrust ourselves to others, where we share our hopes, our dreams, our fears, our sins, and more. So Scott Sauls, he wrote this great book on friendship called Befriend. And he says this about friendships that center themselves on God. In terms of death, in terms of depth, friendships are similar to marriage as you completely share your heart. Just think about that. That true friendship is where you are sharing your heart with one another. But right there, we can understand why that's scary and that's hard. Because what if our heart is rejected? What if we are, we are unloved? There's, so we're afraid. We are afraid we will be rejected. So we hide. We put on masks. We cave into social pressures and more because we are deeply insecure that we will be rejected. And again, that is a consequence of sin within our lives. But here's the joy. And friends, this is a joy. God calls you friend. Just think about that. God calls you friend. That's not just in Proverbs. It's also in John, which we've heard. And, and like you see God talking about Moses and Abraham as, their, as, as being friend, their friends as well. But God calls you friends. And this is the creator of the universe, the one who has no limits. He, ha, he is all-knowing. He knows everything that I have done in my past. He knows what's going on in the present. He knows everything that's going to happen in the future. And he knows that about you. He knows all your sins and mistakes of your past, the things that you are aware of. He knows your future story that you are completely oblivious to. And you cannot know. But God says, I love you, and you are my friend. And see, this is the joy. Since he has declared us righteous and nothing can separate us from the love of God, why should we hide from others? Why should we pretend? Why should we put on masks? And it is God's intention and design that his love and his friendship should shape our own friendships. Where we can be free to share our heart with others. But also where we can turn around and invite others to do the same with us. To invite their lives, to, to share their hearts with us. Because every single one of us here this morning is a sinner. We are all sinners. But the second wonderful uniting truth is that we have each been befriended by God. And that is the gospel promise. That is the gospel invitation. As we look to Jesus in faith, that we are befriended by God. And so this is something else that we see here, that there's this love. It's a, a love that invites vulnerability and requires vulnerability. But there's something else here that we see in this verse, that a friend loves at all times. And this love is marked by commitment. It's a love marked by commitment. I mentioned David and Jonathan a moment ago, but to come back to them, that David and Jonathan, their friendship cost them something. But their friendship was, it was not an equal cost. 
If you know the story from 1 Samuel, David is a, sh- a poor shepherd's boy. He is the runt of the litter. And here's Jonathan, and he's the prince. His dad's the king. But if you know the story of Samuel, David's the one who's, who's pr- going to replace King Saul. So in other words, their friendship cost Jonathan his crown. That, so that there's a cost of friendship. And so they made a covenant together to care for each other's families in case uh, one of them would die. And so when Jonathan did die, he asked the question, hey, is there any living descendant of Jonathan's family around that can help take care of them? And th- this covenant was made so just in case one of them lost a father, none of their descendants would actually be fatherless. That's the picture of friendship. That's the picture of commitment. That a friendship for a flourishing involves commitment. And this love that I am describing here is covenantal. It is a love for all times that endures all times and perseveres. It weathers the trials and adversities together. It is a love that is marked by commitment. And so here in, in Proverbs 17, it's this, this type of commitment is also very specific. That look at verse seven, verse nine. That whoever covers an offense seeks love. See, a love that we need for flourishing is one that endures sins and disappointments and offenses. We need this type of love if we're going to grow and be wise. And I've shared in the past that. This is a recurring theme, not only in the book of Proverbs, but throughout all the scriptures, that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. 1 Corinthians 13. That this verse here, uh, Proverbs 17.9, is quoted in 1 Peter as well. But these verses show us that God gets the hardships and the difficulties of our relationships. He knows that husbands and wives will sin against one another. He knows that we will, as people, all sin against each other, including those whom we love most, like husbands and wives, that friends will let each other down, mentors will fail you. But yet, if we have been loved by God, then his love is going to reshape our relationships. That in John 13 and 14, 15, 16, and that's where our words of assurance were coming from earlier, we have this incredible picture where Jesus picks up a towel, washes his disciples' feet, and he tells them, no longer do I call you servants, but I have called you friends. See, that model that Jesus demonstrates for us, that is the way of wisdom. That is how, what Proverbs is inviting us and calling us to do. See, the wise... The wise respond with the same love that God has shown us. So Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. See, God understands the hardships that we have within our relationships. This was Jesus' lived experience. I mentioned that Jesus had his best friends, Peter, James, and John. Just let's focus on Jesus' best friends. John, John abandoned him. That when Jesus was being taken away, John was following at a distance. And then when people began noticing that he was following them, he ran away. And then there's Peter, the guy who walked on water. He denied Jesus Christ. He denied him. 
And so Jesus' friends abandoned him, denied, denied him. The night before Jesus died upon the cross, he, it was right after the Last Supper, when he's in the garden and he's praying, he's pleading with his friends, stay awake with me. I'm in emotional agony. I'm facing, I know what I'm going to be facing in a few hours. And yet these guys could not even stay awake with him. See, God understands the relational hardships that we face in our life. That's Jesus' lived experience. And yet, he loved us first. Yet, he loved us first. This is the gospel. That he calls us, he loves us, and he calls us to love others in the same way. With love, with grace, with forgiveness, humility, and more. And so on this passage here in Proverbs 17.9, Ray Ortland highlights something. And this is an incredible insight here. That when you adopt this mindset here in 17, verse 9, that whoever covers an offense seeks love, this is what he writes. That we want our sinning friend more than we want a paycheck or more than we want payback. That is the mind of Christ. He continues, gossips do not understand that, so they repeat a matter, not that they dredge it up over and over again. And the word translated repeats of means to mention an offense a second time. Just one repeat. So that person who sinned against you, if they confess their sin and ask for forgiveness, then drop it. Don't mention it again. You have regained a friend. And I, pre- I appreciate these words because these are, this is heart surgery. This is an examination on our hearts because we look to defend ourselves. We look to justify. We look to win an argument and to score a point. And in the end, it can cost us a friend. And in that mindset, that's okay. But what the way of wisdom is that if you lose the relationship, is it worth it? That's what wisdom demands us to ask. And so the Apostle Paul understood this. And if you know this book of 1 Corinthians I'm about to quote to, he is quite pointed in 1 Corinthians. But this is what he says. Why not suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? That's 1 Corinthians 6, 7. See, if we're willing to lose an argument, then we might just win a friend. And it takes wisdom to walk this way. And a a friend, the friend that we are describing that we need to flourish in life, loves you at all times through the disappointments, the hardships, the lows, the ghosting, Due to our own sins and our own mistakes and our own failures. And this is how God loves you. That God is faithful to you despite your faithlessness. That God is committed to you and he is for you. This is the friend that we have at all times. But it's also a love. Not only is it a a love and vulnerable and commitment. There's also boundaries. And this will be the last point, boundaries. And this can be a little bit nebulous, but let me read verse 18 here. One who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbors. And so now oftentimes as we just think about relationships, there's two extremes. One is detached and where, you, and where you're isolated, where you're actually not in relationship with other people, but that's one extreme. And then on the other extreme, it's where you're enmeshed, where... There's a lot of overlap. And so boundaries, when they're made in love, actually enables to 
navigate those two extremes in very healthy ways. And so Proverbs gives us many examples of some of these boundaries. And I bring up boundaries here because while they may seem harsh at times, they actually help us thrive and flourish and walk in this way of wisdom. And so here in verse 18, we see one very clear boundary, and it's in regards to money. And so right here, one who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. The idea here is don't loan money to your friends. Don't loan money to your friends. Instead, consider giving money to your friends. Be generous. And it's, but, it's, and, but don't co-sign a loan or, or loan out money. That's an, clearly an, an, an issue of wisdom. And so Ray Ortland shares this story in his, the, his commentary on this passage and he shared how once a story of how uh, there was this circumstance and relationship in his church where one church member co-signed a loan on the part of another church member. And so the man was on the line for $100,000. It was defaulted, and so the bank came ca- calling. So again, Proverbs is saying, right here, there's a moment, an expression of a, a boundary here. Another problem, we saw this in verse 9, is Problems. That like very specifically, like don't gossip. That whispers separate close friends. And so if your wealth is in relationships, just recognize so is theirs. And so problems ought to be worked out between the people who are directly involved. And it's an issue of wisdom. And so what these boundaries are getting at, what Proverbs is getting at, is actually this idea of sin. That friends don't encourage one another to sin. That friends also encourage one another to walk in the way of wisdom and to avoid foolishness. And so certainly be loving and gracious and forgiving. That this should be what characterizes our friendships even as we think about boundaries within our our relationships. So like for example, like uh, how this comes together in one sense is that how many times... Should we forgive? And that's the question Peter asks. And Jesus says, always one more time. And so friendships should help you flourish where you point one another to God and wisdom to make good choices and decisions. So one, and so another verse, this is later on, Proverbs 27, verse 17. But one of the, the, of the pictures that Proverbs gives us of friendship is iron sharpening iron. And when that happens, sparks fly. And this kind of of friendship pictured here is where our lives are seen and exposed to one another, where our values and positions may be different from one another, where we put our interests aside for the sake of the other. This kind of friendship is like two pieces of sandpaper coming together. And I've been using sandpaper a lot right now doing work on my house. But as you put two pieces of sandpaper together, as you... put them together for a first time, it stalls out. There's friction. It's not going anywhere. But as you apply more effort, it keeps moving and going. And eventually, as you're rubbing the sand pieces, sandpaper pieces together, they become smooth. The picture that Proverbs gives us is that fr- friends can be frank with one another. Friends can be honest with one another. They can say, hey, that's not a wise thing. That's not a good thing. And I'm being honest with you. And the Lord is kind to us. And the Lord gives us these good friends. Uh, the Lord has given me the good friends like this. One time I was having a conversation and he just thought, a friend of mine stopped me kind of mid-sentence. He's like, Robbie, I, you know, I don't care who you know or how much you know. I just want to know you. Stop name dropping. You're being proud. Stop it. 
I needed to hear that. That came out of nowhere, but it was, he was being honest and frank with me. See, the friendships that we need are people who can help us see our hearts and our, and our decisions and to help us make sure that we are walking in the way of wisdom. And this is how Jesus loves us. All good friendship comes back to him. That he loved us first, knowing our sins and our past he knows, and knowing our future. That everything that you have done, Jesus knows it all. And he still delights to say, my friend. He delights to call you his friend. Your guilt was put on him upon the cross. He died for your sins. This is wonderful good news. And so because it's there on the cross that he died so that you would never die. And he lived so that you would live with him. And he is this wonderful friend who loves you at all times. He is a friend who is better than a brother. And he has been born for adversity. And he wants to see you flourish in life. This is the type of friendship that we need. And we have this wonderful friendship in our God. And so let's draw near to him. He loves you. And he delights in you. Let's pray to him now. Father God, we thank you for your good word that you have given to us. We thank you for friends that love at all times. We thank you for the grace and the forgiveness, the patience, humility, gentleness. But Father, we know that this all flows from you. And Father, we also know we fall short of being these types of friends. So Lord, help us to look to you, to lean on you, and help us to become these types of friends because we have experienced friendship with you. So Lord, help us to draw, so get, we ask for the Spirit to be working in our hearts so that we would draw close to you, that you would be working in our, in our lives, and that we would be more aware, and then that we would experience the wonderful friendship that you have shown to us. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.